0: Well, as we've been saying, today is Christ the King Sunday, and in a way, it's kind of like New Year's Eve for the Christian, because this is actually the final Sunday of the Christian year. We look at the church calendar and the church calendar that we follow along with here at BBCC, Christ the King Sunday is the final Sunday of the Christian year before we begin a new year next Sunday with the first Sunday of Advent. And some of you may come from traditions of the church that highlight the church calendar. Some of you may come from traditions that this is completely new, what we're talking about. Some of you may may not have grown up in the church at all, and so all that we're talking about is new. But the church calendar is something that is shared across denominations and traditions by many, many Christians around The world, and it begins with the season of Advent that will start next week. These four weeks that lead us with hope and anticipation for the coming of Christ into the world, for his birth. And Advent, of course, culminates after those four weeks with Christmas, with the celebration of God the Son coming. And so today, millions of Christians around the world join with us to think about kind of the culmination of the year, and what better way to think about the end of the Christian year than by celebrating Jesus as king, king over it all. He is Christ the king, the Lord and ruler of all. That's what we've been singing about this morning, and that's what I want us to reflect on briefly for a few moments together. And if you read the Bible, you'll notice that there are a number of places, particularly in the Old Testament, that talk about God as king. The Psalms in particular, if you read through the Psalms, you will encounter all of these places that give these visions of soaring pictures of God as king, the true king and true ruler of the world. I just want to read a couple of them for you. Listen to the words of Psalm 11 in verse 4. It says, "The Lord in his holy temple, the Lord, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them." Or Psalm 89 your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. You see, we are meant to see God as king, Lord and king. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God the Son, God in the flesh, and that he has come to be Lord and King over all, including our very hearts. It's through Jesus, it's through Christ that all things are created, and when he comes to us at Christmas, he begins the work of becoming King of our hearts. And so throughout the Bible, we have a vision of, Of what a king is like. We also have visions of what kings are like from our world and from history and from culture. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. These are what we typically think of, right, from our culture and history of what a king looks like. This is a new movie that's out on Netflix about Robert the Bruce, the king of Scots in the early 1300s. I mean, this picture is what we think about when we think of kings, right? His queen standing before him, his people below waiting for his word, the crown upon his head. Or a little bit further down in history, especially as Americans, this is King George III, a portrait of him. The very king that our people, the Americans, led a revolution against. These are the pictures of kings that we think about. But Jesus gives us a very different view of a king. And today I want to take you perhaps to an unusual place in the scriptures to make this point, to see a different view of a king. But I think it's a place that is very beautiful and it's a way of thinking about Jesus as king that should move us to want to follow him. On Sunday mornings I have the opportunity to lead a, a Bible study this fall and we're going to continue it into the new year through the Gospel of Mark and that's a plug for that study. We'd love to have you join us at 9 a.m. for that. But last week we came to a passage that I want us to focus on this morning, uh, one that has just stayed with me this entire week after talking about it last Sunday. And if you have a Bible you can turn to Mark chapter 9 and we're going to be looking at verse 30. 30. And what I want us to see first this morning is that Jesus is the true king who shatters our expectations. We saw those pictures of kings. But Jesus is the true king who shatters our expectations. And so if you have Mark 9 open, I just wanna set the scene for you a bit. Jesus just before this passage has finally revealed to his disciples what his mission is going to be. That he is the son of man with a purpose. That he is the Messiah, but he's a Messiah who has come to suffer and to die and to be raised again from the dead. And his disciples, after following him for some time and now they're beginning to hear this, they're having a really hard time understanding. They're not, they cannot grasp at all what Jesus Is saying they're struggling, even though this is what he's been teaching them all along, he's been hinting at it with them. They had expected to follow a king like in the pictures we just saw, they thought that they would be a part of his kingdom, but Jesus is turning their expectations completely. Upside down. And so if you have Mark 9, listen to these words. It says this They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant. And we're afraid to ask him about it. Now you could see why this would be hard for them, right? In the Old Testament, when the Son of Man was talked about, it was a glorious picture. It was a heavenly picture. The Son of Man was meant to come with might and with power. What king talks about handing himself over to the hands of men to be killed? Who talks like that? And so the disciples are trying to figure out how can you be the son of man and yet be a son of man who will just give yourself up to those who want to do do you harm. And I think this is hard for us to grasp as well. Sometimes we have the tendency to beat up on the disciples and forget that we ourselves are very much like them. We love Talking about the glory of kings, don't we? We love reading about them. We love studying them. We love royalty even today. We're kind of fascinated by celebrities and those with power and influence. And kings are just that they're people who come with glory. And so, no matter what you're the king of, no matter what you have power over, there's glory. Involved. Ki- kids, even kids, fight for King of the Hill on the playground, right? They wrestle for that because there's bragging rights involved. There's glory. All of us are somehow interested in becoming our own kings or queens, our own king of our little hill. This American Life is a radio show that I listen to often and it ran a special report on this certain subculture of people whose prized possessions are their car stereos. They're actually called decibel drag racers. And people will flock from all over the world across international borders to join in a competition. And like actual drag racing, cars will line up across a track, except in this competition, nobody's going anywhere. The winner is the owner of the car stereo that can play the loudest possible decibel. And oddly enough, that is more odd than the fact that these systems are actually too powerful to play music, most of the cars that win this competition are not even drivable. They have to be moved there. The world record holder Uh, at the time of the program, had 900 pounds of concrete poured into the floor of his van. Windshields usually only last three competitions before cracking and shattering completely. Yet one competitor still seems to entirely miss the irony, this report said, that there is no longer any room for himself in his own car. We need more batteries, he laments, but that's all the room we have. And so to anyone outside of this extreme audio sport, the report said, irony is perhaps too generous a word to describe the phenomenon. But the reporter who was um, giving the story closed with something that was just very articulate and very powerful. She said, everybody wants to be the king of a hill. But the number of aspiring kings always dwarfs the number of available hills. And so in this country, we build more hills. I'm not sure there's a better way to describe it than that. Right? Whatever we get into, we'll make a hill of it. And then we'll crown somebody... The king of. It could be the most obscure subculture, it could be the smallest hobby, it could be our jobs, whatever it is, but it will become a hill in which we desire in some way to gain glory from it. We're all looking to be the king of something, to be recognized by others. But there's something else that Jesus is revealing to us. There's an opposite of the glory. Of kings and it's the glory of Jesus Jesus is telling us something different about how we are to see ourselves in relationship to God Jesus says that my glory the true glory of God is going to be shown not when I look like a worldly king but when I actually hand myself over to the hands of men That's when you're going to see my glory, when I begin the work of laying myself down for you. And isn't that really our story, the story of the bad news and the good news of the gospel, that we, on our own, chase after the glory of this world that's really the original sin of Adam and Eve. They were presented with an opportunity to place themselves in the role of God. And so they took it to be in control of their own destiny. And ever since that first sin, sin has ravaged the world. It has led people to seek power and glory for themselves, to lord it over others, to push themselves further and further away from God. And that sin that's come into the world has wrecked societies, and it wrecks our own hearts. And so because that sin is there and it is a part of our world, the bad news of the gospel tells us that God has to do something, that we cannot be the king of the world. He is the true king. And because he is holy, that sin that separates us has to be punished. That's the bad news of the gospel, that we deserve his wrath. But the good news of the gospel is that God himself, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has come to earth to do something about it, to bridge the gap, to lead a perfect life fulfilling all of God's law, to go to the cross, to go to a hill and become the king of our hearts to be punished in our place, to take our sin upon himself and there die at the hands of men so that his glory, the glory of God, could be shown throughout the world. His resurrection gives us the proof and invites us then into life with him so that God's glory, the glory of the king, can live in you and me. That it's our hope for all of life and for all eternity. That is the good news of the gospel. That is completely different than the glory of kings, the glory of power in this world. It is the glory of Jesus. And so the disciples and us, we're trying to get our heads around that, our hearts around that. Jesus is shattering our expectations of what the true king is like But also this morning, we see that Jesus is the true king. As he does that, as he shatters our expectations, Jesus is the true king who exposes our pride. Pick back up in Mark 9 with me in verse 33. It says this, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. You see, the glory of kings or being around important people, whether you're one of the disciples of Jesus or you live in 2018 here in Boynton Beach, the glory of kings or important people will always bring with it the allure of power. We're drawn to it. It's something that the human heart is very susceptible to this allure of power. And it's something that Jesus recognizes in his disciples. They're traveling and he he hears them talking about it. He knows how they're responding to the things that he's saying about giving himself up and laying his life down. They're concerned about who's going to be the greatest among them, what positions they're going to have in Jesus' kingdom. They're thinking about cashing in their lottery tickets with Jesus. This is going to be our future. So Jesus knows this is what's happening, and he sits them down for what I like to call a a come-to-Jesus talk. You ever had one of those? (laughs) Where you just have to clear the air, everything has to be brought onto the table, a conversation to clarify what is exactly happening. In verse 35, Jesus sits them down and he says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And right there, Jesus exposes their pride. He levels their pride and the, the allure of power that is bubbling up in them. He knows it's there. They're saying it and he exposes their pride and says, Listen, if you want to be great in my kingdom with me as your king, you actually have to be forgotten. You actually have to come last. You have to serve all. And right there, Jesus shifts our focus also off of the allure of power and on to something else, the strength of service. Jesus says, life in my kingdom with me as your king is one in which you will come last and you will serve all. And so Jesus is beginning to move What is strong in his kingdom from the ways we typically think about it is being assertive and strong in the world the way we think about it to a life of being last and serving others. And so for us, following Jesus then becomes less about a pursuit of status or glory and more about following him gently into the world to serve others, a life of extreme service. And I actually think this is a a pretty wonderful litmus test, a, a spiritual test, a spiritual discipline that we can add into our lives at any point to sit down and ask ourselves truly, where in my life right now do I see the opportunities to serve others? And am I taking them? Are you taking the opportunity that comes to serve others? Or is most of your life, most of my life right now, really just kind of focused on all the things that I've got going on, the things that are moving me forward in life, moving my family forward in life, my career, my finances, whatever it may be? If you were to ask the question, where am I serving right now? Where is God opening the door for me to serve someone else? What would the answer be? Because this is truly the harder way to live. Following Jesus in the strength of service is harder to live that way than going with the allure of power that comes from this world. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan I always have been. At any point, I can turn on an episode and just be thoroughly entertained. I can probably quote most of them. And there's this incredible uh, scene in one of the episodes where George, of course, George Costanza, if you're familiar with the show, uh, has uh, fallen for a girl who comes from the Latvian Orthodox tradition. And he's trying to figure out how he can pursue her. And, of course, her parents will not allow her to see anybody who's not also part of the Latvian Orthodox tradition. And he goes to Jerry, his best friend, and they have this long conversation, you know, very heated, of course, as it always is. And here's what he says. He says, you know, in the cab on the way here, Jerry, I actually thought about converting. To Latvian Orthodox? Jerry asks. Why not? What do I care? George says. You do know it's not like changing toothpaste, right, Jerry asks? I think it would be romantic, Elaine says, like Edward VIII abdicating the throne to marry Mrs. Simpson. Like King Edward, George says. Like King Edward, Jerry. King Edward didn't live in Queens with Frank and Estelle Costanza, Jerry fires back, referencing the fact that George lives with his parents despite being a grown man. But ignoring Jerry's cutting remark, George continues to ponder aloud the possibility of this conversion. You know what, he says, I could probably do this. What's the difference? George, I was just kidding around, Elaine says. Undeterred, George continues. I wouldn't even tell her. I could just surprise her. George, I wasn't serious, cries Elaine. How hard could it be, George says. You make a little contribution. You have a ceremony. I'm going to think about this. I'm really going to think about this. And of course, George eventually decides to actually follow through. He goes all the way through the exams. He pursues the conversion, but despite passing the exams and going through the conversion, and this is the big twist, afterwards, his girlfriend tells him she's just not ready for a commitment. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, that's the attitude that we often have towards conversion, right? Towards life with God. You know, if this will benefit me, why not? Hey, you know, what's a little ceremony, you know, a little contribution here, I'm in. But when we're trying to further ourselves, that's the way it shows up in our lives. When life is about the things that we desire, then sure, life with God is just a little ceremony here and a contribution here, and we're all good. But Jesus is saying, if you follow me, if I'm going to be the king of your heart, then it's gonna be much more than that. If Jesus is going to be your king, and if he's going to be king of this community, then we are going to have to be known for far more than just the pursuit of our own things. Following Jesus then is about being known for our service. It's about being forgotten in the eyes of the world. It's about coming last so that others could come first. It's being known not for our power, or our glory, or success, but for laying down our lives like Jesus does. And when we get to that point with Jesus, we come to see him as the true king who welcomes us. He shatters our expectation. He exposes our pride. And then we see Jesus as the true king who welcomes us. And how does he do it? How does he welcome us? Well, look at verse 36 from Mark 9. It says, He took a little child whom he placed among them, And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. See, Jesus does two things here. He reminds his disciples who he's having this heart to heart, this come to Jesus talk with, that the ones that he is interested in are those who are helpless who are forgotten by society. In that culture, children had absolutely no standing in society. They were forgotten. And yet here Jesus is welcoming them. He's bringing them close and he actually picks one of them up. This was a real child with a real name in history. Think about that. The son of man in all of his glory singling out one child and bringing him close and saying, this is what I've come to do, to welcome those who are forgotten and helpless. Do you believe that? For you, is that the view of Jesus, your king? That you are the child that he has welcomed. That you are the one that he has brought Close, that life with Christ is not about being the king or queen of our own little hills. It's about being welcomed by Jesus to be one of God's children. And if we believe that, then we begin to see that life with Jesus as our king is not really about going out on the battlefield for Him to to find glory for Jesus. It's really about becoming comfortable with the idea that we are completely dependent on him as children of God we are completely dependent on Jesus as our king and that's what Jesus shows us first that on our own if we are going to live this self self-reliant life we are going to fail that we will never be able to accomplish for ourselves all the glories of this world that we seek. And so the pursuit of self-reliance only leads to failure. It leads us to have to be comfortable with something else. And that comfort is dependence. The comfort of dependence that comes from seeing Jesus as the true king. And not only is this hard for us because we're humans and we have sinful hearts on our own, but almost everything about our culture in the world today leads us to, points us to be independent, right? To be masters of our own world. We raise our kids to be independent. We want them to make independent choices in life. We don't want to lock ourselves into anything. We want to keep Hold of our independence. As we grow older, what is the goal and hope of most people as they get into their elderly years? That they can still have independence over their life. That they can have all of the things, they can make their own choices. My mentor and supervisor for my doctoral program is a man named John Swinton. And a few years ago, he wrote this uh, marvelous book on dementia and how we are to think theologically about it. And it's fascinating and it's won all kinds of theological writing awards, which there is such a thing as that, of course. Uh, But dementia and Alzheimer's are two, we could say, no doubt, two of the most feared things in our culture today. And I know that some of you here this morning have walked that road with family members and you know how hard that journey is but there are a lot of interesting things around the conversations of dementia and part of it is this deep deep fear that so many of us have of becoming utterly dependent of being utterly dependent on other people the thought is overwhelming. It's too awful for some of us to consider. And so it's become this fear that we all have. We don't want to put our family through that. We don't want to go through that. Even though our family loves us dearly and would care for us extensively, the thought is too scary. And so we fear that if we no longer know who we are or we struggle to remember or we struggle to remember the ones around us, if we're completely dependent on them, what could be worse than that? That's our fear. Are we even alive anymore, we wonder? But listen to what he says in this book. He says about dementia. Such dependence doesn't downgrade one's humanity or threaten one's personhood. Rather, it reminds us all of something that we often choose to forget. We are dependent relational creatures. We are dependent. And so what is true of the experience of dementia is actually true for all of us, that our lives are gifts, gifts from God. And truly, we are utterly dependent upon him right now for everything. He goes on and he says, how does one know God when one cannot understand or conceptualize the meaning of absolute dependence or interpret and make sense of such a feeling? In other words, how can you and I truly know God, this king, if we're not comfortable and familiar with the idea that we are utterly dependent on him? That's the place that we're called to live with. To live with Jesus in that place of seeing ourselves as utterly dependent on him. So as we close this morning, Jesus is the true king because he shatters our expectations of the way we think he should work in the world. And Jesus is the true king because he exposes our pride for these pursuits of all the hills that we want to be kings and queens of. And he tells us that life with him is about being last and serving others. And Jesus is the true king who welcomes us as his children, who calls you and I close to realize that we are like that child. Utterly dependent on him, and without him, we have nothing. And some of you may struggle with that. We think of ourselves as independent, and I don't want to put myself in a position where I have to be dependent on anyone or anything, even God. And my friend, if that's you this morning, when you are tired from that fight, I hope you can hear the call of Jesus on your life to come close, to lay down all of the pursuits of glory, to see yourself as that little child, to hear Jesus call you, and to see yourself as dependent on him, the good king who has given us all the good gifts of this life. That. Is life with Jesus as the king of your heart and mine. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that even in the hardships of this life, God, you are showing us that we are meant to live dependent. We are meant to live with you as our king, to see all of life as a gift, no matter how hard it may be. And God, wherever we may be this morning, wherever those who are gathered here come from, whether they have been walking with you for a very long time or whether someone is here this morning who is struggling with thinking about giving up that independence to see you as their king, to place their life under your authority, God, I pray that you would whisper gently to them like you did to that child, that you would call them close that you would let them feel your love and that they would give their life to you, to your control. God, may we live as your children, dependent on you, to go out and serve others, to be forgotten, to not seek the glory of this world, but to show your glory to this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing this last song together as we close this morning.